like who you are lost <laughs> beautifully lost mm-hmm. into exploring my own interests and curiosity mm-hmm. i'm lost in the forest of my my curiosity mm-hmm. and i don't want to come out yeah. i'm okay being called the jack of all trades mm-hmm. i don't want to be master of anything this is episode number 78 of the inspiring talk with Deepak Ramola Welcome guys to The Inspiring Talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm host for this show. Each week I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. I'm super excited for the guest of this episode, Deepak Ramola. Deepak is one of the young people whom I admire a lot. He is the founder of an organization called Fuel, which is an acronym of Forward the Understanding of Every Life Lesson. Through his organization, he documents life lessons of people from all walks of life and passes them on to others in the most inspiring ways. from painting world's first village of life lessons to painting the song Atrangi Yari sung by superstar Amitabh Bachchan and Farhan Akhtar Deepak has worked with people from across the world he is UNESCO MGIEP kindness ambassador TED speaker an educator writer and lyricist that's a lot for a young man who is all of 28 he is one of the most kind and humble human being you will ever come across and has tons of stories and life lessons to share with the world on this episode you will hear us talk about how liberating accepting your own story can be why it's okay to be jack of all trades the power of curiosity and a lot more Before we jump in if you are new to this podcast you may like to subscribe to this show there is this huge library of episodes to fuel your growth and success and if you have been listening for a while i'd love to know your feedback you can share your feedback by leaving a review or a comment wherever you get a podcast from now enjoy the conversation Welcome back inside this episode guys. I have Deepak Ramola with me here today. Deepak, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, excited to share and finally connect with you and your audience. Yeah, it's been a while that I wanted to connect with you. Um, yes. Since I saw your TED Talk last year. Yes. And uh, kind of amazing work that you are doing through Project Fuel which we will talk about in a moment. But so thanks again for this time and and I'm really glad to have you here. Um so I want to you know uh, start off this conversation by you know taking you back to your childhood because uh let's you know what we I'm trying to do here is deconstruct uh you know what made you who you are today as a child and the experiences that you probably have had in your childhood so tell us about how you were as a kid you know in in your school because you know you have been active in debates and you know 
other you know activities in a school so tell us a little bit about your school time i was a very contradictory child okay and what i mean by that is i was winning all the quiz and the debate competitions in the school outside of school but i felt very very uh, left out when it came to friends i came uh, to believe that i did not fit in to most of the you know uh, norms that the children had laid out i wasn't really mischievous i was very driven i came from a middle class family and i had a certain value assessment that i wanted to achieve but i didn't have many friends to share that with yet i was the school official debater i was the head boy and i was traveling all around so this was a contradiction that i faced where people were celebrating me on a platform but as soon as i got off it i realized that i didn't have many people other than my family to celebrate it with and when you are a young child it's a very hard feeling to let go or it's a very hard feeling to resolve when you don't have friends for many reasons my voice was a problem for, for most i was sounding like a girl to many and they didn't want to be seen with someone who was being constantly bullied by other children. so i yeah i was dealing with all of that contrast until i came to accept and understand who i was and i joke with my friends now i have so many friends i have to eliminate them every new years <laughs> and see if they qualify for the new year <laughs> list or not so it's a joke that's always running amidst my friends that will they make it to my 2020 friend list and i think from being a child in school who longed for people to be friends with him yeah. to being someone mm-hmm. who can now have a joke about actually yeah. you know eliminating friends and having friends yeah. as ridiculous as that sounds is a long way home i feel yeah and you say like you know not having a longing for the people and one of the stories that you have shared on the other interviews that you have given is your best friend uh, not wanting to sit with you on the mm. same you know sit on the same bench in your school so how was that like you know what if you can recall at all what was going on in your head at that point of time or how did you deal or is there something that you keep telling yourself that you know i'm going to show you some day or i don't care or obviously you clearly cared at that point of time at that kid you know just being not accepted um mm. you know on a on a group of folks out there so i think all of those things for me it was uh very hard because as a child you're not thinking or as a young adult you're not thinking about revolting and you're not thinking of oh i'm going to be a one man army and life will be fine yeah. you want to win hearts of people you want to share your tiffin with somebody you want to do mischievous acts as a naughty student in the class and you mm-hmm. want to have someone to laugh about them with and having my best friend not be okay with who i was mm-hmm. was very very i mean of course i don't blame him he was as young as yeah. me so he didn't know any better but at that point to be excluded is never a good feeling i don't think so anybody at any age in the world when True. you outcast someone for who they are anybody will turn around and say i'm okay with it i don't think so people become okay with that mm-hmm. and it becomes all the more difficult because that's the thing that you're trying to avoid for yourself you want to fit in so yeah. you want to sound like everybody sounds you want to look like everybody looks what really helped me was my english teacher's approach i remember when my best friend refused to sit with me in in the classroom i was crying and she came and it was her class and she took me outside the class and she said what happened and i said i don't you know like my voice And she said what does that mean if you woke up tomorrow morning and you couldn't speak anymore would you be okay with that 
And I said, no. So she said, that means you like your voice. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. So she said, well, now that you like your voice, we have a deal. If you like something about yourself, nobody can make you feel bad about it. Once you own your story, you own your voice. And that statement to own your story, to own your voice, revolutionized my entire life because from that moment, I never allowed up until now anybody to make me feel bad about who I am as a person, Mm -hmm. how I sound. Because when somebody says, oh, you sound like a kid or you sound like a girl or, you know, your voice is not that baritonish. I know that for a fact. Mm -hmm. And facts don't make me laugh and facts don't offend me. Mm -hmm. Facts is a fact if you accept it. So I think more than acceptance of other classmates, the acceptance of my own story was liberating for me, which, uh, which I believe many people run away from. If you are on the heavier side and someone calls you fat, the reason you're offended is because you are in denial that you are plump. Mm. But the moment you are okay with being plump and somebody says, hey, you are fat and you say, well, you know what? I know that about myself. Go find something new that I don't know. Mm-hmm. That person will never come back and say something because they know they have lost power no. to make you feel lesser than them. No. Uh, so that's what really saved my life. I think that's a very beautiful story there. So, you know, you have said uh, accepting who you are and embracing the way you are. And even you have given the example of fat person, right? But how does one begin with the journey of accepting yourself, right? Because it's it's a very difficult job out mm. there, like, you know, accepting yourself for who you are, mm. easier said than done, right? So how is there something, because after these many years of going through that, like, and, and, and also through the lot of stories that you collect through your projects, which we will talk about in a moment, but have you learned or is there something that you have learned about accepting or how somebody begin that journey of accepting themselves for who they are? Mm. I would say first see for yourself you only have to accept things when someone makes you feel bad about something, mm. right? Otherwise, yeah. you're just uh, living life normally True. until someone points out something and then you're like, do I agree with them or do I disagree with mm-hmm. them? If you agree with them, that means you also see it as a fault and you would like to change that about it. But if you disagree with what they point out and you are okay with it, that means that person has now no right to make you feel bad about it. So I think acceptance can be evaluated as, do I accept what they're saying because I too believe I need to change this about myself? Or do I need to accept that this is as good as it is and doesn't have to be changed at all for myself and about myself, you know, with me. So uh, in that scenario, I think things would be much more different. And much more easier if you figure out the the definition of what is that you agree or you disagree with. Mm. So, you know, while we're saying, you know, accepting yourself for who you are and uh, also at the same time, you know, you want validation as a human. One of the things that you are always looking for is validation from the other people. Like even if you are trying to accept for who you are and then you want to validate that, right? That I'm okay. Right? How, how does that work between like balancing between like getting validation from someone else and you trying to make peace with yourself saying that I accept for who I am? I think validation is something that each one of us seeks all the time. Yeah. But I think the problem becomes when your entire life depends on that validation. Mm-hmm. If you wake up and from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, 
all you're longing for is that validation. That is when things become troublesome because then you will do anything to get people's attention and their appreciation. I would say you need to have some moments through the day where it does not matter what somebody thinks about you. And it's very hard. But if you have a moment today, hopefully you can have two moments tomorrow and three moments day after. So I think if for me, it is, it's very, very parallel to the idea that do you accept certain parts about yourself that nobody gets to have a say about? For example, I say the choice of music, the dreams you have and wh- whether you drink or not, are three things you don't have to justify to anybody in the world. Mm. So those are three categories I've already taken off from the public domain that I'm not going to be able to justify or I don't want to explain myself to anybody. If someone says, why do you like that song? I don't ask or answer that question for them. Mm -hmm. If somebody says, oh, why are you thinking of dreaming of that? I don't answer that as well. Because I don't think so. You have to justify your dreams to anybody. Mm. You can explain what yeah. motivates you, yeah. how you're going to do it, what will happen after you've done it. Yeah. But why that dream and what makes you dream that? I think that, you know, is something that I, I refrain from. So uh, to answer your question, I would say that that validation has to come from people in certain parts of the day and has to also come from you. You cannot put that burden onto the world. Then you're actually cheating or making the world work over time for you. You have to work in tandem with them. Mm, I love that. Um, so now let's get back to your childhood once again. From being that kid who was bullied and how you developed this interest for collecting stories. Um, how, mm. how did that begin? So my mother was pulled out of school in grade five by her grandmother mm-hmm. who didn't uh, want her to study with boys. But I never believed that story because my mother is very, very good intellectually, very, very sound emotionally and very, very articulate when it comes to, you know, uh, giving advice. So I was very perplexed that a woman who says she didn't go to school knows so much. And my mother's answer always was that life is my classroom. So I thought if she's learning simply by living, how can I know what other people are learning by living? So I started collecting life lessons from the age of 14 and uh, I've been collecting them ever since. And it's been many, many years of collecting life lessons of people. Earlier, it was just a personal hobby. Now it's a whole profession. I mean, I run an organization called Project Fuel, inspired from that ideology. And the fuel in Project Fuel stands for forward the understanding of every life lesson, which uh, we basically translate through education, art, media and events and that's how we shape people's wisdom into very practical learnings so you mentioned about your mother i would like to know what are some of the best life lessons that you have learned from your own mom well there's a life lesson every day with her yeah (laughs) Um, i think one is that you have to define who you are by yourself first Mm-hmm. before you allow others to define. She never allowed people to define her as a non-educated person. She defined very early on for us that there is a difference between being literate and being educated. Being literate means you know how to read and write. Mm-hmm. Being educated means you, you know how to use your knowledge yeah. and not necessarily knowledge that you gained out of degrees. I think that difference changed my entire outlook towards people because I met a lot of people who had done a PhD, but you could not sit across them and have a proper conversation without their ego or their arrogance rubbing on. 
and yet i had met people in villages farmers sex workers who did not earn an academic degree yet they knew so much about who they were and where they were and how they felt and they were generous and my mother distinguished that that to have read books to have had degrees to have won medals does not really mean that you are educated that just means you are literate and that's the first thing i learned i think the other important thing i've learned from her she says often in hindi kisi ko wish do par vishwas mat do and i think uh, that is something another thing that i've really learned from her that if you give your give a word to somebody about something then you do it you know and that for me has been a very very big cornerstone so even if most of the times i'm not feeling something but i have committed to it i've given someone the promise of it i will try to live up to it to the best of my energy and ability yeah mm. awesome so you have mentioned that through the project fuel you collect stories right for the you know better understanding of my audience could you share what does collection of story means and what exactly you are trying to do with project fuel So what we do primarily is we collect life lessons of people from around the world uh by simple process of interviewing those people asking them what their life has taught them and then we design that through an entire methodology into activities and modules to learn and in communities where people are not very literate we use art as a tool so that's really the basis of it asking people what life has taught them what's the biggest piece of advice they can give you know to other people and how that can manifest into something that can inspire entertain inform and enlighten someone else in some part of the world and you don't have to be app developer you don't have to be a ceo you can be a housewife a retired person a 25 year old a 5 year old but you acknowledging that you've learned something and using that wisdom is is what project fuel works with that's beautiful so what was that moment when you felt like okay this is something that i want to like pursue you know you wanted to collect the stories and you you know even asked people you know sitting at your dinner table what did life taught you before they could have their dinner right uh, so you know from that of like just being curious about what life taught them and probably just trying to learn from their life lesson and probably see how you can fit into your own life experience but what was that moment when you said okay probably i want to like take it to next level and you know share it with the world versus like keeping and you know trying to keep it with yourself and then use that for your own life yeah that's a wonderful question i think i have always shared life lessons with people despite project fuel as well the first time i remember is when my sister had her first breakup and she was crying and i remember telling her you know that there is a life lesson i read which said what is for you shall not pass you by and i saw that life lesson have an impact on her mm. she got it the essence of it and that encouraged me to tell my best friend a life lesson my school teacher a life lesson my bus driver a life lesson mm. so i started passing these life lessons to people and uh, eventually that has become into this whole movement where i like now pass it on a huge level but i think the moment happened with my sister on the terrace when she was crying i saw she understood someone's entire life's crux in her situation and that guided her to come out of her sadness and aspire to be a little bit more so i think i i trace it back to that age 14 15 sometime mm beautiful beautiful so you were doing it when you were still at school yeah very much nice so now you know where the project fuel 
or your organization has come in the past almost 14 years now 11 11 years sorry so 11 years how how does that journey feels like i mean so many life lessons that you know you have collected in the life and uh, what that journey looks like for you and <laughs> being able to like get those life lessons and sharing it out to the people and just you know as you mentioned for your sister's case now i'm sure there are a lot of people who get inspired and you know probably use those life lessons to navigate through the challenges or probably the difficult situation that they might be going through their own life the journey has been for sure rewarding mm-hmm. the journey also has been very i would say dynamic it has not been one thing i mean i, I when i started i was doing workshops then i went into talks then i started painting villages then i started doing films about life lessons now i'm doing festivals so the expression of the collection of life lessons and the usage of life lessons is constantly evolving uh what i do feel looking back 11 years is that consistency helped me get here i was always on this path and i continued to be on that path i often joke with my friends that i probably have col- uh, collected and met so many people that i should retire by next thursday <laughs> but uh, <laughs> is that still enough i don't know there mm-hmm. are 7 billion people on earth mm-hmm. i have not even done a, a million <laughs> so i don't think so counting that as a lot or a little too less seems okay i'm doing it literally one person at a time yeah. and as long as that helps me understand one more person better i am happy with it mm-hmm. yeah so that's beautiful so now i want to you know switch a bit of a gear from the project fuel and the stories that you collect and share out there as you mentioned you do a lot of things now rather than just collecting and sharing the stories you are a poet you write poems uh you write lyrics <laughs> and you act in films right and you do a lot of these different things what would you like to call yourself what do you call yourself like who you are lost <laughs> <laughs> beautifully lost mm-hmm. into exploring my own interests and curiosity mm-hmm. i'm lost in the forest of my my curiosity mm-hmm. and i don't want to come out yeah. i'm okay being called the jack of all trades mm-hmm. i don't want to be master of anything I want to be a jack and I'm okay with it and nobody can make me feel bad about it mm-hmm. because I have one life yeah. and I have this will to immerse myself into many different things and be okay with it. Yeah. And so I think I am a poet, a songwriter, a teacher, a, you know, a founder of something, but to me it's all one thing. It's part of the same forest. Yeah. you know you drink water you you eat fruits you walk it's part of the same ecosystem for people it's different jobs and professions but for me it's the narrative of one curiosity mm-hmm. and that is unfolding with every expression every job if you call it mm-hmm. and people get overwhelmed seeing my journey but i don't get overwhelmed seeing my journey i feel it's too less i have to uh-huh. i'm i'm yet to be a sculptor i want to learn how to do photoshop i want to learn how to edit i want to be able to pluck mangoes in kolhapur or you know in some parts of the world i want to be able to know how to weave a blanket by myself i haven't learned all those things and 
maybe once i ha- i do learn those things i can say oh i've done too much but i don't think so 10 12 professions are too much it's just <laughs> enough for for one's curiosity uh-huh. yeah i totally agree that um but still, like do you then feel insufficient or probably you know doubt yourself but though i agree on the fact that you know it just that when you have this mission because whatever ways that you are trying to accomplish that mission but it's everything under the mission that you have which is to probably share the stories that people have and transform you know their lives right and probably help them accomplish the fullest potential that they have that's the mission that you have and everything that you do whether that's teaching whether that's writing the music or whether that's doing the workshops through project fuel so everything is there but do you like feel that you know have you ever failed to let people do this way have you ever felt the need to master that or like you know or insufficient in that sense you know what i mean right okay i probably got to be master at, at at conducting workshops like giving the best experience you know do, do you ever feel that or how does that fit into so i have been consistent with my creative pursuits yeah i write songs i've been writing songs since i was in school yeah i've been writing poetry since i was in school i've been collecting life lessons since i was in school and all those things have lasted the last 10 15 years yeah and i feel after a point even if it was just a hobby if yeah. it is consistently done yeah. you automatically master it true so if you set out to master it then i don't know it's a very different thought and yeah. approach yeah. but if you are consistently trying to learn it mm-hmm. consistently trying to explore it you automatically become like each of my pursuits i would say or skills is now my profession i am mm. a published poet yeah. i am what they call a commercial songwriter for bollywood yeah. i am speaker i have done workshops but all of these things are because i was consistent with them yeah. and there are things i did but i i didn't like them so much so i dropped them out yeah. and those are not my professions anymore yeah. but i think if you do something long enough and you do mm. it interestingly enough you end up making it one of your core values and your core skill sets yeah. so that doesn't really start with oh i'm going to master it mm. but let me see along the way does it survive year after year mm. and if it doesn't what is unnecessary will shed automatically yeah. so i am also very appreciative of things that drop out by themselves yeah. plans that don't work yeah. people that do not collaborate with me or um, you know things or hobbies that i cannot pursue mm-hmm. after a point yeah th- that drops out automatically mm-hmm. like i could not be one of the usual influencers who travels although i travel almost 20 days a month yeah i can't be one of the bloggers and influencers who goes to a city and says i'm going to take you out on a you know a fun ride of yeah. the city and this is what i'm eating and this is what i'm doing not to say that's stupid to me not at all mm-hmm. i think there is an art and craft to it but it doesn't fit me yeah and so i tried it one time i was in spain and i said hi everybody i'm from talking from barcelona and this is a city and it didn't come naturally to me mm. yet when i sit in front of the camera and i talk about a story a life lesson from a person from barcelona it yeah. came very naturally hmm. so i think it's also listening to that aspect of your voice and what it wants to say as naturally and as organically as it can yeah. without forcing it so i think yeah so that's why i'm not a influencer influencer yeah uh, so yeah the reason also i asked that question about you know mastering the thing and you can do multiple professions not only one is because i don't want get people get confused that you know you can juggle through the thing but the thing that 
people should note on what you have said is the consistency bit of it. Yes. Right? Being consistent year on year on the, you know, one thing, five thing, 10 thing, whatever that you are doing and like yes. checking it. And, and it's yeah. hard work. Yeah. It is hard work. Absolutely. People see only the glory of it. I mean, I won an award in Jaipur last month, uh, which is the Bhaskar Young Author Award. And it's mm-hmm. a prestigious award. It comes with the cash prize. Yeah. And I, as soon as I got on this, off the stage, a young person came to me and said, I want to be a great poet. Mm-hmm. And... I said, well, then you have to write a lot of bad poetry. (laughs) And she said, no, I only want to write good poems. (laughs) And I mean, that's the problem, right? If you are only set out to be this awesomely successful person in everything you do, you're bound to fail invariably. So you might as well say, I want to fail at a few things. And if I succeed, well, that's going to be an amazing thing as well. So... I would say, let success not be the default. That's where people mostly fail. Let failure be the default Mm. and success be the exception. And because you're so comfortable with, even if things don't work out, I think you will succeed invariably and you will feel great about every single achievement along the way. But people make success the norm Mm. and failure the exception. And that's where they feel most disappointed with themselves. And I think also that's because you know, we are primed as a culture to celebrate successes, right? We don't celebrate failures. Mm -hmm. Then how does one, uh, you know, start accepting the failures? Because when, especially when you have grown up, you know, in a culture like ours, where we glorify success and like we really beat up or uh, do not, you know, celebrate failures or the attempts that has at least been made, we do not look at it that way. Uh, there are two kinds of success for me. One is, of course, the professional success being winning accolades and stuff. And then there's another success, which is, do you feel successful on a daily basis? Oh. And I think for me, the answer has been yes, ever since I was 11 years old. I do feel successful. Why do I feel successful? Because I feel people make you feel so many things on a daily basis with their expectations, with their approaches with their comments and you still survive to see the next morning sun and if you do wake up to see a new sunrise that means everything that happened yesterday you survived it and so you not only survive it but you emerge victorious to live through the day so many people that's why they give up on their lives because they lose the battle of that day mm-hmm. but if you get up to see another day that means you are successful that's my definition the borderline definition and I think also accepting that you're also failing at the same time in so many people's eyes in their expectations in their radar of what success looks like so it's very important to define what success means to you you know and both in the professional domain and in the personal domain so in the personal domain I'm very successful In the professional domain, I keep room for being a great failure Mm -hmm. who gets to succeed every now and then. Mm. And so I lose all the pressure of being, you know, absolutely amazing all the time because I I think I'm just okay and I'm (laughs) all right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So you do uh, write poems and lyrics as well. And uh, even the whole thing about merging these different stories and sharing it to the world in the most creative ways possible, right? So I want to know about your 
creative process like what does that process looks like when you are generating ideas or going through these or whether whether it would be you know writing these lyrics or so is is there a certain you know process that you creative process that you follow or is there any ritual that you that you follow uh, or is there anything that uh, you know you would like to share um i am addicted to agarbattis Okay. I really like a good incense stick or a loban. So I'm I mean I really like to be around good smell. Uh so whenever I'm writing, I think I light an agarbatti in my uh room whether it's in office or at home. I just like to smell something and um also zone out to the way the smoke flows in the room, you know. I I like to follow that trace. But other than that, the creative process is to cre- create space to create mm-hmm. i would like to emphasize on that uh, a very good friend of mine radhika dudhat who's a lawyer and teaches shastras told me a very beautiful concept about brahmand and how we translate brahmand as universe but brahmand is not universe brahmand is space in which the universe exists so before in the mythology as they believe before lord brahma created the universe he had to create the space in which the universe existed and as a creative artist what you're trying to do is constantly create but then you're not leaving room for that creation to either disintegrate or emerge into something more powerful so i focus on creating a space in which the creation can emerge what i mean by that is that when i am writing a song I'm not just writing a song for a situation. I'm trying to inspire myself for a space in which a song, a poem, a life lesson, beautiful quote can emerge out of me and not just a song. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean. Like you have to create enough room for you to achieve more than what is desired of you instantly. Mm-hmm. and that space for me is very very important my creative process so i inspire myself first mm-hmm. i don't just directly go into writing i inspire myself by reading writing observing i observe situations i see where people are coming from and uh, what they want and what do i want how do i want to indulge with this scenario and that's i think eventually you end up creating something that is simple and easy and nice and relatable with people so that and i'm open to not delivering something instantly if i'm writing a song if i can only come up with one line i'm okay until unless there's a deadline and you're dying and you want a producer <laughs> director to have the song yeah. but other than that if you're writing and that's where i think people only create sometimes when they have a deadline or they have a they have a project I say collaborate with yourself. Yeah. Uh, that's something I emphasize on. Collaborate with yourself. Create projects for yourself in spaces when you don't have someone else sitting on your head wanting to do it. So that. I love that bit of uh, collaborate with yourself. Can you talk a little bit about or probably you can give some of the examples on, you know, collaborate with yourself and how that and if there is any project a beautiful thing that has emerged as a process of that and i i know that that happens on a day to day basis and whatever you work some of the project that you are taking but if you'd like to give take some examples about you know some of some of the you know beautiful things that has emerged out of the collaboration with the self and obviously i would like to talk about the beautiful thing which you do with other people as well is the collaboration with people i will i will come to that um, yes. after this yeah okay i think 
what i mean by collaboration with self is many different things i paint mm-hmm. uh for myself you'll not see my art in any public gallery you will not see my art as part of an exhibit i don't sell my work but i paint mm-hmm. and i paint for the joy of painting for the joy of expression and that's a collaboration with self mm-hmm. it doesn't have an outcome there's no artist sitting on my head and saying okay you know make this or a curator sitting on my head but in 2016 i was uh, documenting a life lesson of a syrian refugee girl 20 years old who said don't hate what's strange and i collaborated with myself thinking how do i remove islamophobia because the girl had been called a terrorist for wearing a hijab so i painted a faceless hijabi woman and i posted on my social media a line saying under the hijab is an identity and i tagged two of my artist friends to reveal what they thought about that and they painted a faceless hijabi woman and wrote that definition and then they got two more artists it became a global movement called under the hijab wow that uh, allowed for muslim women particularly hijabi uh, hijab wearing women and their husbands or their partners to see their women more than the cloth or the fabric that they were wearing so that co- collaboration with self understanding that life lesson took shape of a global movement in 2016 which was totally unplanned yeah. it was something that i did for myself with mm-hmm. myself and for my friends maybe eventually and then those friends did it for the world mm-hmm. so i think collaboration with self means you inspire yourself to admire yourself and flow with it see where it takes you that's beautiful so now you have collaborated with a lot of people and uh, you know this event festival you spoke about collaboration how you know collaboration works so can you share a few of the examples or probably few your insights on how does that collaboration work or what is it that people don't get about the collaboration when they are going out there to collaborate with somebody whom they want to work with I don't know if I can answer that for other people you know what yeah. do people not get but what do I focus on I focus on giving respect mm-hmm. I focus on giving the artist or the collaborator a great story so when I approach them with projects I approach them with projects that will make for a great story for them to tell other people and for them to equalize their skills with my skills so i think having mutual respect is a cornerstone mm-hmm. uh, for many people and for me equally so i think that's what i set out to work with yeah mm-hmm. mutual respect oh okay great so the next thing that i want to talk about you know talk with you about is the lyrics that you have written for the amitabh bachchan and farhan akhtar right and i think that was the first one that you have written for the bollywood right mm. so how, how scary was it uh it was not the first but it was like yeah the fourth or fifth song uh-huh. it was very scary writing anything for amitabh bachchan can be very daunting you uh-huh. know he is a legend and you want to make sure that whatever you do is uh, remembered and appreciated but the process was very simple i i think i was asked to write a song on friendship and i thought of every friend i wanted to write a song for so i wrote a song keeping them in mind mm-hmm. and turns out that the song eventually also resonated with the producers of the film and mm-hmm. you know became part of the film and having mr bachchan sing the song in his yeah. voice yeah. is also a memorable act in itself yeah. so it was great yeah super so what is your biggest fear uh my biggest fear is not 
fulfilling my fullest potential. Mm. That's what I fear most. I know I'm talented. I know I'm hard working. I just hope I'm able to deliver to the mm. promise. So what is the one thing that you are struggling with? The one thing that I'm struggling with, I think at the moment is saying enough no to people because I have struggled with being a people pleaser most of my life, not having friends, wanting to say yes to everything, being, you know, everybody's best friend. I think I'm tr- struggling sometimes to say no, but I'm further along from where I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a long way to go- get there. So out of all the beautiful stories that you have collected, if you have to pick one or maybe two of those life lessons that has deeply inspired you, what would be those lessons? I mean, my favorite life lessons change every 10 minutes because <laughs> I mean, I get them every, you know, single second from different people. But my latest favorite life lesson is uh, from a guy in Belgium who said to me, stop at a red light. Okay. And he said that stopping at a red light might seem like a very stupid act, but it's the definition of someone's entire life and how their behavior works towards unknown and uncalled for moments of pause. When you stop at a red light, you can see how people are waiting to jump out of that signal. And if you are peaceful, absolutely peaceful at a red light, that means you're not in a rush. That means you're okay just spending 60 seconds of your life without this desire to jump a signal and get somewhere. It means you left home on time. It means you're going to get somewhere on time. You kept a buffer slot. Just standing at a red light and being okay with it without abusing, you can actually see how the world functions and you can meditate because you didn't plan for those 60 seconds of the red light. But pausing there allows you to meditate. Just being okay with yourself and okay with how life treats you. So I I think that's my new favorite life lesson because we don't see the act of stopping at a red light very productive, but it's actually a true filter of how our lives are shaped. Beautiful. So at one point you have said that I have been adult all my life. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And uh, give my listener the context on when did you say that and What did you mean by saying that I have been adult all my life? It's part of a spoken word piece that I did called I've been an adult all my life, which is a piece on bullying. Mm. And it's a piece on how people uh, abused uh, my, you know, esteem, self-esteem for my voice with their words. And to deal with them maturely is what the phrase I've been adult all of my life means, really, that I have always work towards dealing with them with a certain respect, with a certain sense of maturity that adults have and not a certain sense of kiddishness that might come in a teenage boy who's being called out for. I've been an adult all my life also means to me that I have known how to make sense of things that did not make sense to a child. I've been proud of myself in many ways and I've been an adult all my life also means that now the work is to be a child. Because <laughs> if you've been an adult all your life, the, the, the hard work is to be innocent again. Mm. And so that's what it really means. Beautiful. So now we're moving to the enlightening round. So it's uh, more of a, I ask the similar kind of questions to all my guests. So Deepak, you have inspired a lot of people through your TED Talk, through Fuel and through a lot of work and talks and workshops and events that you do. What inspires you to do everything that you do? People. 
the simple answer of that is people all kinds of people or shades of people all age groups of people all genders i'm inspired by people and that's why i surround myself with different kinds of people all the time that's really the short answer to a long question <laughs> so if you have to attribute all your success to one daily ritual or habit of yours what would be that it sounds cliche but great gratitude Mm-hmm. When I wake up, I I tell myself I'm already grateful for all the things I'm going to receive today, mm-hmm. and I think that gratitude allows me to not feel empty. It allows me to feel full, and so whatever is additional is a bonus. Whatever isn't received is still okay. Yeah. So if you had to start this journey all over again, what are those three things that you would have done differently? I think I would have. Uh, being less of a people pleaser mm-hmm. that's number 1 i think i would have learned music formally since i was a child mm-hmm. and i would have played more sports great so and i also know that you need read a lot of uh, books so what's your recent favorite or uh, the book that you suggest listeners listening to this go check out and listen currently i'm reading a book called uh, what i know for sure by oprah winfrey and i think it's a fantastic book of her reflection she's like a multimedia mogul first black billionaire in the world woman pioneer of her field so i feel like oprah's uh, book what i know for sure is a really good one super so do you use any app or tool on a regular basis that probably help you in probably being productive or pro- uh, probably you know be more disciplined or stuff like that any any online app or tool not really yeah. i think i'm more of an offline person uh-huh. i like to spend time with people yes i do use instagram uh-huh. but i don't allow for it to use me i don't allow social media to use me i use it my feed if you see on instagram is a beautiful place because when i am low i want to go online not to feel bad but i want to feel great that mm-hmm. it's a good reminder for me that my life is great and so my posts my pictures my captions are all a beautiful collage of everything i'm thankful for and a lot of people think of it being you know this over happy space but it's actually my journal i used i treat instagram as my diary entry and so a lot of times when i have to reflect back on what i was doing on this day this year mm-hmm. i just go to my instagram and i see that and i can almost gauge from my caption how how i must have been feeling in that moment yeah so you were 26 25 28 Okay, you are 28, right? So and you have started really early on in your life. And what would be your message for people in their 20s who still don't know or are yet to figure out what they want to do in their life? Like what would you uh, what would you tell them? Now if you say who are still figuring out what they should do in their life and haven't found do everything. Mhm. That's what I say. If you don't know what to do, do everything. And in the process you might be able to find. And if you cannot point out what is it that you want to do in everything go help someone else fulfill their everything or something they are good at because what you have in that duration is time and that's a currency use that currency for someone else even if you don't find your purpose you will find gratitude and you will find sympathy and you'll find understanding for someone else and what they will find for you is massive massive love because you supported them through their journey Super. So Deepak, I have got one last question for you, but before I ask you that question, if people would like to reach out to you or know more about Project Fuel or connect with you, what would be the best possible way? So Project Fuel, I would say Project Fuel 
Facebook page. The website is called projectfuel.in, P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot F-U-E-L dot I-N. And uh, there's an Instagram page by the same name, Project Fuel. And I think, yeah, people can join us there. We're running a campaign called Fuel 1 Million, where we're collecting a million life lessons this year. So uh, I think people listening uh, to you and me, if they want to submit their life lesson, they can go on to the campaign and submit their life lesson. Super. I'll link that up in the description of this episode. Um, so here's the last question for you, Deepak. Imagine that you are standing on a stadium and this one is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world. And there are millions of people there on that stadium and you are there on the stage. And you have been given only one minute of the time mm-hmm. to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life. What would be your message? I think I would tell, whether it's the biggest stadium or the smallest room in the world, I would still say your talent is not your gift, it's your responsibility. Uh, when you consider your talent to be your gift, it'll be a moody thing whether you do it or not. But when you consider it your responsibility, you will be committed to serving it in any shape and form, in any scale and growth, in any height and you know dimension. So yeah, your talent is not your gift, it's your responsibility. The question is how sooner will you start fulfilling that responsibility, not for anyone else in the world, but for yourself. And that will make all the difference. I love that. Your talent is not a gift. It's your responsibility. Thank you so much for being on the Thank show. Thank you. com forward slash 7878. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode with Deepak. If you did, make sure that you share this episode with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can access all the links to the resources mentioned in this episode by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 7878. And finally, don't forget to connect with me at the rate BJ Speaks on Instagram and let me know what you think about this show. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.